0: Welcome to Tennis Paradise for the latest ATP podcast. I'm Sev Lozier and we are coming to you from the first ATP Masters 1000 of the year, the BNP Paribas Open in Indian Wells. We will be hearing from the great and good this week, including three of the men inside the world's top six. Got a lot to look forward to, but first, delighted to say, here once again with Jill Kravis, who is now a California local, or you already were, Jill, but you love the tournament so much. You, you almost moved in.
1: I, I did. It was a spur of the moment, but I did move in um, last October. Not to actually, like, on-site, but I did move five minutes away to La Quinta, and it's a beautiful spot to be. We live in a great community. Neighbors are great, but it's the perfect time of year to be here, and it's just been fantastic.
0: And you are keeping a close eye on the Andy Murray Radu-Albot match, which is going on as we speak, because you're going to go and interview the winner. Yep, right?
1: it's a set to Andy Murray right now, 6-4, and it's one all in the second. So... Could go either way. We know Annie likes to play long matches, but you never know. It's been a a close battle so far, so we'll see.
0: We're both here reporting um, for ATP this week, interviewing the players after the matches. Favourite interview so far?
1: Ooh, they've all been pretty good, but I think the one that stands out to me is Medvedev last night. He played American Brandon Nakashima, and I just feel like Medvedev always gives us a little bit of insight. He's so articulate all the time, and asked him a couple questions, but it was the last uh, question that I asked him that stood out, and obviously coming off those three titles that he just had, I just said, you're clearly coming in here with a lot of confidence, and I asked him if he just kind of continues to progress in the same way or if his or if his tactics or mentality are different coming into the first Masters 1000 of the year and I just I just loved his answer because he just gave an insightful answer he's like look I've never really done that great here at Indian Wells so that confidence for me coming into this event is super important so for him to get those titles leading into this was was really a confidence booster for him.
0: My most interesting exchange was with Adrian Manorino Okay. Who said to me before the interview, please don't tell me who I play next. And it turns out he never knows who he's going to go on court against until literally the moment he walks on court. Can I, you even that imagine? That is
1: incredible. That's absolutely, I cannot believe that. I mean, I think he just, he warms up and just, at least he knows where he's supposed to be, <laughs> what court he's supposed to go on. But that's amazing until he hears his name, I guess, that he goes on court. We'll have to follow up with that. But that is Phenomenal.
0: It is incredible. Um, in terms of the players here, you've already talked about Medvedev. In, t- in terms of the big, you know, the, the big challenges for the title here, with Novak unfortunately not here. Novak Djokovic. Um, great to see Carlos Alcaraz. here.
1: Yes, it's exciting to see him back. First of all, and of course, after being gone with injuries, won the first title, his very first tournament back after. A couple months off, won the first title, so it was a good warm-up to come in here. But I watched him practice with Tiafo the other day, a few days ago, and it, was, it looked like it was a match because the stadium was that packed for that practice. But it was so entertaining, those two guys having so much fun and just com- complimenting each other. But Alcaraz, I feel like he is good on any surface. He's just got that good all-around game. I feel like he's one of the fastest guys I've ever seen on a tennis court, and he's just so much fun to watch, so he's definitely a favorite for me.
0: It does feel like a little bit of a changing of the guard, especially here this year with none of the big three here for different reasons. And tournament director Tommy Haas kind of agrees.
2: Yeah, I mean, the new era is here, right? I mean, there's no 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 question about that. Um, You know, as a former player and now, you know, behind the scenes here, as a tournament director here in Indian Wells, you know, you kind of always want obviously the top players to be a part of it. Uh, for, for different reasons. You know, We don't have uh, you know, some of the all-time greats here on the men's side, obviously one being retired, one being injured and one wasn't granted uh, you know, to, to come into the country, unfortunately. So you know, you're looking at the next uh, generation a the new era and uh, obviously there's a couple of players in that mix as well that have been around for quite some time now and you know, you're kind of waiting to see if they can actually do well and maybe win here in Indian Wells, so, uh, the likes of Medvedev, uh, you know, Tsitsipas and, and Zverev and Dominic Thiem is back when he won here in 19 trying to find his form so and then there's many others that I'm probably not naming right now but then you have uh, you know a young player named Alcaraz who obviously took everyone by surprise on the men's side finishing uh, number one in the world end of last year which was uh, absolutely an amazing year that he had and he played extremely well here as well and of course you know defending champion Taylor Fritz which uh, for us is obviously great, you know, uh, You know, coming from South Southern California and, uh, you know, American, which I think the American tennis in general, right, has been waiting for, for so long to see. So uh, let's see how far you can take it this year. Jill, I guess all of this talk of a new era is going to fire up someone, a certain Mr. Novak
0: <laughs> Djokovic. Um, are we realistically talking about a new era of competitors for him?
1: Um, I think we have to because, there, as we know, there's only so long that, Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer could last. Obviously, Federer just retiring last year, but Nadal is consistently having injuries um, more often as we're as we're noticing. And Djokovic, I, I mean, his body holds up pretty well, but he of course had the tear um, this year in Australian Open, still somehow got the title. God knows how, but um, he's just absolutely incredible. But I think that's what's great is is these those three guys constantly push the new era, I guess, to get better, to try and get better, to try and find new ways to get that um, in to get titles and I think it's great I think there's going to be a lot of guys that are going to be contenders for slams in my opinion I think the men's game is so exciting right now because there's so many youngsters that have that are so well grounded are have good more all-around games that I feel like can really push to that level. Who do
0: you see really competing with Novak for the slams this year?
1: Uh, I could see Alcaraz Um, obviously Nadal is still is still in there for the French for sure. Pass. I think uh, Zverev, for sure. Rublev has has wins over all of them.
0: Medvedev. Medvedev,
1: yeah. There's a, there's a long list.
0: <laughs> so lots of competition for Novak, I yes. think we agree, this year. Um, the last couple of years here have thrown up relatively surprising champions. Uh, last year, as Tommy Haas said, American Taylor Fritz beat Rafael Nadal. And the year before that, Britt Cam Norrie claimed his first Masters 1000 title. Now, Jill, you recently caught up with his coach, Facundo Lugones, um, to ask about the secrets behind their successful player-coach partnership.
3: I'm not going to say that from day one I knew I was going to be with Cam for these many years and I knew the whole path. No, but we, we did focus on a lot of things, especially the first year, kind of like develop him as a top player like adding things to his game and to his mental game and to his physical game that would really consolidate him and
1: what exactly did you add would you say
3: well how to how to practice how to how to schedule training weeks how to do training blocks the things we were going to focus on, how much we're going to push him what tournaments are we going to play play tougher schedule always not play too many challenges and try to play atps right away when when he was, we had the ranking obviously, but uh, I think always building like a very strong foundation. So when he was top 100 or top 50, he had the level to stay there and to keep going up, not kind of like rushing everything. And maybe when you're there, you're not really prepared and you don't have the level 52 weeks of the year.
1: And how do you feel like, I mean, knowing him for a long time, how do you feel like he's grown as a person from when you first, when he first came to college at TCU? Yeah,
3: that's that's really fun to watch, and still, he's still growing, and he's still more mature than last year, and the the two years, and yeah, I felt like there were two big changes. One, when he turned pro, it was a big change for him, and he he could see like a a lot of improvement of, of him becoming more as a grown-up, and then... did it
1: happen did that happen immediately or was that something
3: something he he's he's pretty good he takes criticism and he takes advice and he learns from it and i think he takes that in different areas not just his tennis but in his life in general and he he uses that and he listens to the right people and he improves in all aspects not just his tennis you know how how he conducts himself with uh in the game and with the with the fans then with his career how he starts like everything kind of became like a business for him and how he manages everything and then the other big step I think it was after the lockdown he became even more mature and he really focused everything on his tennis and I think yeah those were two big jumps for him as a person I would say off the court that gave him an edge.
1: So for you you feel like the lockdown sort of helped him mature a little bit?
3: Well I don't know if it was exactly lockdown but like something that it gave him time to like rethink and kind of Reevaluate everything about his career and I go all in and give himself even a better chance at, at succeeding and becoming a top player.
1: Now I mean I've heard from numerous people that obviously coach you're really immersed in the player not only on court off court how important is it for you as a coach to feel like you need to know the player sort of inside and out everything about the player in order to have a better understanding to work with him on court.
3: Yeah, I think it's, it's key, obviously. They're not just tennis players. They're, they're normal people at the end of the day, and they have uh, feelings and strengths, weaknesses, fears, emotions, and I think the more you understand all of those, the more you're going to be able to help him. So I think with Cam, we know known each other for so long that sometimes he doesn't even have to tell me things. <laughs> I can tell what's happening with him, sometimes not, and he's obviously really open with me, so we can have honest conversations, and that helps.
1: Since you have that nice rapport and known each other for a long time in those moments of struggle because obviously there's always going to be struggles on and off the court does that help in those moments like in the immediate moments in those big moments where you might not be feeling your best
3: yeah i think that's that's a big part of the job and everyone in the team you know make the player get out of those moments quicker and also learn from those moments because he might be there again soon or hopefully not. But if you are, then you know what solutions or how you can go back to what you did, and knowing that it's no need to panic. You have solutions, and it's normal to feel that way, and you kind of get through those. So I feel like if you've been in those moments with with the right people and they get you through, then next time you're there, you, you're gonna feel better about it.
1: Yeah, I do. I do want to touch on the fitness a little bit. I know Kim likes to do very long-distance fitness, and I know you're as coach. I know you have a separate fitness trainer, but a lot of tennis is that short bursts, right? But Kim loves to do the long-distance running yeah, and the long biking. Is. Um, is that something that you just let him do it because he loves it, or do you also incorporate, obviously, the, the short burst and stuff like that? No, so we, do
3: a, we do a lot of really intense cardio on court with tennis-related, mm. and we do that once or twice a week on the training blocks and he loves them and it's really good for him because that's kind of what he tries to do on the court play yeah. really long points really physical and he needs to make sure he's prepared for that and yeah it's uh, he the the endurance and the long distance running that he has it naturally we still work at it but not as hard as the other part of the strength or the the cardio
1: is that something that um, benefits him with his confidence, you would say, if continue to do the...
3: Yeah, I feel like you want to... It's like if you're a big server, you want to make sure you hit enough serves in practice so when you go on court, you, you've done the work. Yeah. And for him, it's the same. You know, he wants to make sure he's really fit in really good shape to play those long rallies and long matches. Uh, so, I mean, that confidence comes a lot from preparation. You want to make sure he's he's feeling that way.
0: Jill, the physical fitness angle, so important. Cam loves pushing himself to the limit. Um Everyone is fit out there. How do you make yourself fitter than the rest?
1: For for me, I think, and Cam Norrie is a great example, actually, it's about being able to sustain that fitness. Like you said, everyone is fit, but you have to be able to be there week in and week out with the fitness. And Cam's a great example because he's always pushing those limits. He's got such great stamina, and that stamina is, is what you need. I mean, it's one thing to stay fit and be able to do it in bursts in certain weeks, but to be able to maintain it throughout the year, but I think it's also important to talk about recovery as well. I think that's what you'll hear a lot of players are talking about is making sure that they recognize when they might be pushing too much to to a limit where they might start to have a little inkling or small injury. So it's being able to recognize when to pull back as well. I think that's just as important because that recovery is going to help you be able to push that much harder next time.
0: With the younger players in particular, you, you tend to see... A big difference quite happened quite quickly. Last year, I think it was, Carlos Alcaraz came back on tour, and wow, he all of a sudden he muscled up. Yannick Sinner actually looks like he's put on a few kilos. He looks a different type of animal. How much does that affect your confidence, bringing that strength on tour? And and how much also do you have to kind of relearn to, to move and, and to deal with that extra weight?
1: Yeah, you make a good point. I think it's about finding that balance because... Tennis is a lot about movement and skill, not and as well as strength. So if you get too big and too strong, it could affect your movement. It could affect your technique, how you're approaching the ball, because you also want to have that fluidity as well. So that's just as important. Someone like Yannick Sinner, who was so sly, he was one that needed to get stronger. I, I spoke briefly at the Australian Open with his coach, who's working with him, Darren Cahill, and he was saying... That strength is something that's really important for him especially around the hip area just to get that stability so that was something he really emphasized but even having said that it's about finding that balance to keep that fluidity with that strength at the same time
0: not much of an offseason anymore is that no, I, I mean Casper Rood has just taken off February You're to right. do a training block how did you manage it did you just do offseason in one block
1: Um, You know, it it changed year to year. I think if if there was a year that I played 30 to 35 tournaments, which is a substantial amount, I mean, it's a lot. And I love to play, so I just kept trying to play. You know, maybe that next year I didn't play as much. If I noticed that I was maybe tired at the end of the year in November and only had two and a half weeks off, there was the following year that I stopped in October and had a couple months off. So it's about finding that balance. And the men's tour, the season is very long. It's not surprising, I think, that you might start to find guys taking time off after the Australian Open because they go so late into the season. And I think that might become a little bit more common.
0: With so many tournaments, is player burnout something that we should be worried about?
1: Um, I You know, I think that's why we emphasize how much the support team around the players is so important because as a player, athletes are designed, they drive themselves. And sometimes you don't recognize that maybe you're going a little bit too far. That happened to me, like you just want to keep pushing and pushing. And I sometimes didn't recognize that I was getting wearing myself out. So it's about the support team around you that's, that needs you to help pull, pull you back sometimes. And it is going to be, I think that everyone's going to start managing the schedule a little bit differently just because the way the calendar sits, the way the tournaments sit. And I, I don't think it's going to be a surprise. Maybe you'll see, even throughout the year, small little breaks here and there for the men.
0: We mentioned Carlos Alcaraz earlier, that world number two, top seed here. He just walked past a little while ago, and we're in the players. He gave you
1: a big smile, Seb.
0: He did. Well, I've, <laughs> I've been there for his his Rio title last yes, year. It was a of big course. thing. So, um, he just walked past this time last year, as an eighteen-year-old, he reached the semi-finals here in Indian Wells. Two weeks later, claimed his first Masters one thousand title in Miami. Since then, he's barely looked back. With the US Open title, year-end world number one already. Ahead of the tournament here, I asked him how much time he's been investing into the mental side of the game to help cope with all of this newfound fame and everything that comes with it.
4: I think this is the first time that I've uh, been top seed in a Master 1000 so for me it's, it's great. Uh, but uh, I try not to think about it too, too much, just uh, enjoy and of course with with everything, with the social media, with the fans, with uh, yeah, everything uh, outside. The court, let's say, and trying to, to enjoy as well. Uh, so as you you can see, i always smiling and enjoy enjoy the time here because it's uh, it's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful everything, you know, people and trying to, to to enjoy everything and not taking the pressure on on it. And just finally, Carlos,
0: it is the first Masters 1000 of the year. It starts to really focus the mind on on the Masters 1000s. What what are your biggest aims this year when it comes to the biggest events?
4: Well, trying to to show my best level and try to make the people enjoy uh, watching tennis. That's uh, that's what I want. Uh, and of of course, uh, I love playing a, a big matches in a big stadium. You know, in big moments, I, I, I love that. And and yeah, I as I always say that I'm trying to. Uh, to invent new thoughts on, on, on that, and I think that the people want to see. And yeah, I all I can say is that I wanted to to live great great moments this year. Joe, what did you do to try and relax, sort of around and before
0: and after tournaments?
1: Uh, everyone is different. I a lot of players you see now with the headphones; they want to you know stay focused with music or whatever they're listening to i was i was kind of a talker (laughs) i don't know if that surprised you but i would want to just talk to my coach and go over things again and and again and again almost so it was like second nature by the time i got on the court but it's about routines for a lot of players It's about rituals making sure you're doing the warm-up the same that's what gives you that confidence is that consistency on the court and then warming up before the match listening to music some some might meditate um, so it's about finding your own routine at one what works for you
0: on Carlos can you believe how quickly it's all happened for him and maybe you can
1: Well you know there was a lot of hype of him. I remember hearing his name before I even saw who he was or saw him on the court. So by the time I got to see him at the US Open a few years ago, you know I got that close look he was on an outside court then um, doesn't play on those courts anymore. But uh, I think what stood out to me was how quick he was and also not only how good he was on the court but he seems so grounded and I think that has a lot to do with Juan Carlos Ferrero in his corner I mean he just keeps him grounded I think he's got a great perspective on not only on court but off court as well because Juan Carlos Ferreiro knows how important it is to make sure you're taking care of like his media requests and I've seen him play with kids he smiles at everyone says hello to everyone so it's about being able to stay grounded and I was curious if you know, he talked about expectation a little bit after he won that US Open, and he struggled with it a little bit. But to be able to accept that and be honest and being willing to be vulnerable in those moments, I think helps you deal with those things better.
0: So popular.
1: Yeah, he's so popular. He's so likable. He's just so, he looks just so friendly all the time. Yeah.
0: Another big story in 2022 was the rise and rise of Norway's Kasper Ruud. He claimed three titles and made four massive finals. In fact, at the US Open final, he was a win away from becoming world number one himself, but by his own admission, it's been a slow start to 2023.
5: Yes, I mean, there's no hiding the fact that it hasn't been what I had hoped for, uh, but it's okay. I mean, a couple of losses have been 7-6 in the third, uh, so that's just, you know, um, luck of the game sometimes. It goes, you, sometimes you're away, sometimes you have to give some away, so, uh, but it was um, you know, I had a little break after Australian Open, which was planned uh, to do a little bit more strength, fitness stuff uh, that I didn't get time to do in December. So, you know, coming to Acapulco, I didn't really know what to expect for my own game, uh, which was last week and uh, one match I won 7-6 in the third, one match I lost. So it was a good indication of, you know, where I need to be to, to beat these players. and. Um, I hope that I can find my form here this week because from last week and on it's going to be a very intense year. A lot of traveling, a lot of tournaments, and uh, I hopefully that time that I spent home in Norway is going to help me feel fresh during a long year and uh, feel strong and uh, not have too many pains and injuries and um, be able to hopefully also play good tennis. I mean, uh, it's a long year, so I don't feel stressed, but I obviously had hoped that I could start the year a little bit better, but you know, From this week on it really starts with big tournaments this is the first masters 1000 and uh, there will be nine more during the year and there will be three more grand slams so there's still plenty of tournaments to come and i hope that uh, from this week on things can uh, things can go well for me
0: yeah last year finished literally as late as it possibly could for you you did so well at the nito finals Um, was there always going to be a little bit of a hangover physically from that
5: yeah, maybe, maybe not, and, you know, I also went on an exhibition trip with Rafa right after to South America, which was an incredible experience, and, you know, yeah, you can, you know, debate whether that was the right or wrong choice, you know, based on the physicality, but I, you know, when, when someone like Rafa or these big guys ask you to come, you know, you're not going to say no, obviously, it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience, and it was so fun, so great, and uh, it did compromise my preseason in December a little bit, that I didn't have... As many weeks as I maybe my fitness coach would have liked, but uh, we got that time now in February, and we did all the work that we wanted to do, and or that he wanted to do, and that I uh, pushed pushed through. And uh, yeah, it was uh, was a long long year last year, obviously reaching. Later stages at big tournaments, and more than you know, all my goals were sort of accomplished, and I was doing much better than I had you know thought was possible myself. So, and we, me and Noah, I played the last official ATP match of the year, so uh, obviously it finished late, and uh, and uh, you know, now we're, we're here again. It's March, it's been some months already, so uh, this is. Um, sort of where it all starts again I feel like here in New Wales because it's a, like I said the first Masters 1000 and you know that there are a lot of big events coming from now to November this year so you need to be ready for it and I think uh, I feel ready and let's see how I, how I can play.
0: And mentally I mean you're brushing over the fact really that you you lost four huge finals last year they weren't just finals you know two Grand Slams the, the NITO finals and the and Masters yeah. you'd need to be some kind of Jedi warrior to not take that, you know, and, and you know to get over that. How how tough is that?
5: Yeah, I mean it, it was. I hope I, you know. I wish I could have won at least one of them, but you know, in in the end, I just have to accept and uh, move on and accept the fact that the guys that I played played better than me. You know, that's how it goes. You know, tennis is a fair game this way. It's not over until it's over. We don't play on time. You know, you have to win the match to win it. So I wasn't able to do that in those four finals couple of them I was maybe a little closer but then a couple of them I was uh, didn't really have a chance at all so that's how it goes. I hope I can have learned something from the finals and that I'd, I know at least that my hunger to reach another final is stronger than ever and it's bigger than ever and my motivation is high. I I enjoy playing finals at big, big tournaments. I can take that with me from last year and I hope I can win one one day and um, you know if if that doesn't happen it doesn't happen, but I'm sure still gonna you know try my best and keep working hard and know that it is possible for me. I have reached it before, so both you know believe in myself and motivation is, is very high. Jill, nine titles, all two fifties. Is that a
0: slight asterisk by Casper's name at the moment?
1: I wouldn't put an asterisk, by. I mean, a title is a title. I think any time you're able to get a title, any guy will tell you that it's, that they feel so great about that. That's one of of the things they strive for. Obviously, I'm sure Casper has much higher hopes in his head getting to the finals of two slams last year. That's something that's for sure in his sights. And just to take those small stepping stones to next get a 500 and then, of course, wanting a Masters 1000 to the slam. But... um, I'm sure maybe it's slightly in the back of his mind, but you, whenever you win a title, you have to play some really tough matches to be able to come through. It's not it's not easy, so it's pretty impressive year that he had.
0: If Ruud's start to the year has been stuttering, Daniel Medvedev's has been stunning.
6: It was great, you know, when you win the titles, it's always a great feeling. and. Uh, Uh, It's not that easy (laughs) to to win them because there are so many good players and everyone wants to win and there is only one person in the tournament who can do it. Unfortunately, maybe, or fortunately, I don't know.
0: Daniel Medvedev makes it three in a row on the ATP
7: Tour.
6: Uh, It's been a great run, Uh, now it's a new story, completely opposite side of the world. Uh, different conditions, so uh, like always in tennis, new week and everything starts from the beginning. Uh, when I'm in the this zone that I managed to, to, to be last three tournaments, especially in Dubai, I don't miss much. I kind of read the game well, which sometimes when I'm on a worse day, uh, I feel like I'm always late for, for the shots. I'm like, how is it possible? that like Yesterday I was uh, I was good, and today I cannot read uh, the shots of my opponent, so uh, that's what's working, I think, uh, best for me. Honestly, uh, the most pleasing is always the win, because uh, if I take the three finals I played, uh, all of them were kind of different. Against Andrei I probably played the best tennis out of them, so in a way I had control out of of the match. Against Yannick, was probably the most physical one.
1: Daniel Medvedev
6: is the champion in Rotterdam. Against Andy, it was just, uh, you know, the course, uh, slow, slow course, slow balls there. So it was a roller coaster. So all of them were different. Uh, but uh, yeah, what pleases you the most is the win. You never know what went wrong or what went good. So I'm happy that in my career, I achieved some highs. I know how to, to do it. And I'm just, I'll just try to, to make it again.
0: Rotterdam, Doha, Dubai. And now here, one win, fifteen wins in a row. Momentum is just a crazy thing. You spoke with Daniil last night. What did he What did he say about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was it was fascinating because well, I actually spoke to him, and I spoke to his coach Joe Savaro um, a couple days ago, I think. And I just said, all I said was congratulations and. Joe was like, "Yeah, but that's in the past already." <laughs> right away, he said, "Yeah, but that's in the past already. We're already looking forward." And I was like, "Well, that's that's. I think that's great that they're already focusing on the present, the next tournament." But to Danielle, I was like, "You know, coming into this tournament, like that's got to give you a lot of confidence." And he was like, Look, I need, I need that confidence coming into Indian Wells. I haven't done well here in, in the past, so that confidence is huge for me. And because I was asking him if he had a new perspective, you know, if he was driving towards something even more coming into the first Masters 1000, he was just all about it's going to help me. Like those titles, they were awesome, but anytime I'm able to win matches and have that streak going, it's going to help with the confidence.
0: One thing, just picking up on something he said in that package there you never know what went wrong and what went good I'm happy that I've achieved highs I know how to do it and I'll try and do it again Daniel seems he seems to look beyond single wins and losses doesn't he is that a gift uh, to be able to do that
1: um I think actually that's a good way to say it I think it could be because I I think it's some players have a hard time not thinking about results so much And so for me, I love, I do like that that was Gilles' comment. They were already looking to the present. And sometimes players have a tough time. And you you see it sometimes with um, how players deal with expectations. They're still thinking about what they did before. And so I think that could be a huge asset for any player. I think that's a great mindset for Medvedev to have.
0: It's been a really encouraging past few weeks for Chinese player Wu Yibing after claiming China's first men's tour title in Dallas. Here he's beaten Chao Muna before falling to Alejandro Davidovich for Kina, but not before ATP's
8: Jensu Zhao found out a little bit more about him. Going a bit more into your background, your hometown is Hangzhou in China, where you grew up. There's a famous Chinese saying called each place raises its people in their own special way. Mm-hmm. Yifang shui tu yang, yi do you agree on that? Would you credit your hometown Hangzhou for your success in tennis?
7: Of course, I'm. Uh, I'm. A, I'm very proud. I'm from there, and uh, uh, yeah, I was talking with my my team. They, because I now have Marcus as a new coach, and uh, we talk about like, oh, okay, where's my hometown? I said uh, Hangzhou, and he said, oh, there's a very good uh, uh, lake, West Lake, and uh, also Alibaba is from there, so. Yeah, it's uh, it's a very beautiful city to to take a vacation off. And um, but since I'm like since I'm playing tennis, there's a lot of traveling. It's sad for me too. I I can't really be at home for that much. But I guess that's the same for everybody. And so whenever I have a chance to go back, I always take a bike. You know, ride ride uh, around the neighborhood or even around the like some famous uh, buildings, you know, like just feel the city, feel I, okay, I'm still part of the city, mm. yeah.
8: So probably when we are back in Hangzhou mm. later this year, the fans should go to the West Lake to try yeah. to have a meeting
7: De- <laughs> Definitely, you. definitely, and uh, I'll, I'll be there. And okay. uh, I was talking with my coach yesterday, yeah. I would say, if you believe it or not, I, I start missing home a little bit because uh, yeah. I'm out, I'm out almost a year and a half. It's a really long time. I haven't been out from home that, that much, and uh, uh, I can see my parents, my grandparents, also my my friends back in China. So it's very hard, but um, I ha- I have the faith that um, if I do good here, I have a better
8: I have a better energy to, to see them back home. Yeah. Speaking of Marcus, you just mentioned you started uh, cooperation with him recently. How does it feel right now? Do you feel that uh, Marcus? brought you some new energy?
7: Yeah, and uh, in in the team, I mean, in my team, everybody's uh, great guys, first of all, and uh, they all have uh, very good personalities. So this is the basement that that we can work as a team. So if you have, like, uh, some issues with each other, you know, it's never going to work out even even though they're good or or not. So first of all, he's a great person, and uh, he knows tennis of course more than me so it's, uh, there's a lot of things i i could take from him and uh it's it's been like uh, a pressure uh, uh to work against uh, a guy reached top 10 you know and also there's a motivation behind that That the, okay these former great players they they join the team that's also gave me a lot of confidence that, that he accept the job so yeah for me it's um it's gonna be a really really good uh, relationship be- between me and him and uh, definitely we're gonna work some things out.
8: Last question. If by any chance you didn't pick up the racket for tennis, what would you imagine you'd be doing now?
7: Probably in school, but uh, I'm not this, I'm a naughty boy. So for sure I cause some problem in school or whatever. <laughs> maybe, maybe I, I go, I don't know break a class or something no. like that in, in the school.
8: I'm sure you was excel at school too. You are such a sm- yeah. smart guy. Yeah. yeah, I'm because uh, before I...
7: I mean, even though I, I was in the Promise team, the, the morning session I, I have in school and uh, I go afternoon to uh, to the Promise team to play tennis and still I have a good result on the test. So, yeah, people... My classmate uh, jealous on me because you know, this guy don't even study, but he can have better, better results than us. You know, I'm not bullying like it's,
8: it's just, <laughs> Not bragging. <laughs> yeah, it's, that, that's, that's the truth. Great, yeah. great. Thank you, Yibing. At least we are all the tennis fans just look around the stadium today at Indian Wells. And back in China and for sure all over the world, I'm glad that you did choose to play tennis after all instead of... Me too. Studying at school. Yeah, I think that's
7: that's the thing. Like I, am really happy about myself and uh, and my family. They they really support me. Cause uh, when I, I would say when I started, no, like in my family nobody knows like what tennis is, and especially the professional ones. And um, thanks for the support, my my parents, especially my mom. She's the one who really kept me like.
8: my ass off. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. Thank you to all of you and uh, we are much looking forward to seeing a lot more of you during the ATP tours and beyond. See you soon. And you can hear an
0: extended version of that interview this coming Wednesday here on the ATP podcast channel. Jill, what have you made of this young player from China? Don't know much about him.
1: I did just see him, well I've seen him play a little bit but I saw him play live for the first time the other day because I got to interview him and I think he's just kind of infectious to talk to. I think I think what's great for him is, like, everything is new for him, right? Every time he comes to a tournament, he's having a new experience. And for any player, that's just so much fun to be able to have that experience again. again. And he hasn't been on the tour for that long. He hasn't had that experience. He's had had to deal with a lot of injuries, unfortunately. And the fact that he's been able to come back so strong the way he has – Started working with Baghdadis recently, so he's got him in his corner. That's a great perspective to have someone who's been at the top of four, who's been to the finals of the Slam, who's been in the top ten. So to have that voice in his head, I think that's a great partnership. So it'll be interesting to see how he continues to progress.
0: And for China and any region, yeah. really is huge, isn't it? To have a, a totem figure there at the top of the game. How important is it? I mean, even just thinking about the US and now, you know, having gone a little while without having, you know, a cluster of. Of men inside the world's top 20 right now there are you know a, a few um how important is that to have these heroes
1: I, I think it's very important especially for that region because i mean you compare it to the us but the us we have so many other sports too so there's so many there's basketball football baseball i mean there's so many that you can focus on Where China, like tennis, is like a pretty big thing. So when you have a superstar, there's a lot of eyes on you. There's a lot of expectation on your shoulders. So to me, for a lot of these players, when they have a huge rise or huge success in one year, for me, the second year is always the interesting year because that's when you have to defend points. That's when you really can see how they handle that pressure, that stress of having to have those points come off, watch your ranking fall and how you respond to that. I think that's going to be interesting for him.
0: Just finally, Jill, I can't let you go okay. without putting you on the spot. I love doing Jesus, this.
1: Are you going to ask me for a winner?
0: For the whole thing, yeah. Who's going to win the BNP Paribas Open?
1: I'm going to go with Alcaraz.
0: Okay, to come through his injuries and yep. beats who in the, final? Or that, oh, who that's in the re- final? That really is putting you on the <laughs> spot.
1: <laughs> that really is putting me I'm going to go Alcaraz Medvedev final. Interesting, okay.
0: Thank you to Jill Krabus. You, Always a pleasure. And all of our guests this week, I'm Seb Lozier. I'll be back with you next week, rounding up events from the desert and looking ahead to the second Masters event of the year in Miami already. In the meantime, check out the ATP WTA Live app for all the latest results, scores and orders of play. You can catch all the action live on Tennis TV and you can read all kinds of interesting stories on atptour.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the tennis. See you next time. We'll be